Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back. So today is another solo episode and like I did last time on the previous solo episode, I'm going to be sharing the audio and clips from my solo episodes on Instagram, um, my IGTV lives that I did back at the end of October and November. And I cover a ton of different subjects, not sure if you tuned into them, um, but I thought I'd repurpose them on here because there was a lot of good subjects like my mold journey. I do have specific podcast episodes that are like an hour and a half each. I think that's like episode 60 something, if you want, oh no, 80 or 90, I think, if you want to go back talk about estrogen dominance, parasites, my skincare routine, and what to expect in terms of recovery time, tips for keratosis pilaris or chicken skin, which is like the bumpy skin on the back of um, your arms that you can get, hydrogen sulfide, um, pre and probiotics, the difference, and some of my top recommendations for that, PCOS and hirsutism, which is abnormal male patterned hair growth, fat malabsorption and methylation. So as you can see, a ton of different subjects. I'm sure there's something in there that you're going to find beneficial. And let's get straight into the episode. How to build up our gut flora post-antibiotic treatment. So this is a good question. Um, This is from one of my clients. She had to go on antibiotics for um, COVID. So totally relevant um, and need for them. So there's a time and a place. I'm not totally against conventional antibiotics by any means. Um, but they do kind of have a negative effect on our gut bacteria. So we do need to be aware of that and replenish that when possible. So probiotics are a good way to start by doing that. She was already on probiotics anyway, so we needed to kind of increase them. We need to do special probiotics. Um, I prefer to use the spore-based probiotics as opposed to just the regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium, um, store-bought, like health food shop ones because they're only really transient so once you stop taking them within like three days or something the benefits are pretty much out the system that's why i prefer to use the spore based ones with something like megaspore probiotic they actually make long-term changes in the gut and i find them to be really useful they also do the company a prebiotic powder that could be something to consider and you can get prebiotics naturally from food. So things like bananas, oats, mushrooms, um, and anything like fibrous. So things like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, etc. You can also get um, probiotics from food. So they were the prebiotics, what feed the good bacteria. You can also get probiotics, the bacteria themselves from fermented foods. People like myself, um, some people don't tolerate them. So just pay attention to your symptoms and observe any 
inflammation or redness or any allergy-like issues could be as a result of a histamine sensitivity. And in that case, the fermented foods may not be the best option. So if you can tolerate them, go ahead. You can have um, sauerkraut. If you tolerate dairy, you can do kefir, or there is coconut kefir if you're dairy-free. And um, things like kimchi is another one, pickled. Think of anything like aged vinegar, pickles. They do contain live bacteria. So you could try those as well. And just the regular things with diet and lifestyle, managing your stress, sleeping, eating a great diet, your body is going to bounce back a lot better after antibiotics as opposed to not taking care of yourself. So I had a question. I take Megaspore, but what about probiotics for yeast infections? So you, the yeast infections are probably stemming from your gut um, issues in the first place because it's like all one microbiome at the end of the day. So any issues vaginally, you can do things like vaginal probiotics, not the Megaspore necessarily, but um, using like a, a local topical antibiotic in that area, uh, probiotic in that area. But I would still use Megaspore biotic in the gut because it's going to have a knock-on effect on the vaginal microflora. Same with the skin, same with the oral microbiome, they're all connected, but the master one is the gut health. Um, so yeah, definitely start there. How to boost methylation for under methyl methylation, please. So methylation is a process that's happening, I think like millions or trillions of times every single second, just a lot. And it's how a lot of different reactions in the body work. So our body's constantly working on enzymes and reactions and different processes happening, then that requires methylation to be optimal. And a lot of people more likely tend to be under methylators than over methylators. And because it's involved in every single system, pretty much, there can be widespread symptoms involved. Classic ones for me would be anything fertility related. So infertility, recurring miscarriage, but also anything like histamine wise and mood wise often comes back to methylation. And the main support would be the methyl donor nutrients. So things like methyl B12, methylfolate. You can do things like TMG, trimethylglycine, or betaine, beetroot, choline. They're probably best to start with the choline, so not the, the methyl B12 at very high doses, like some online websites recommend. Just to do like grams and grams of B12 every single day. That's probably going to make you over-methylate, so you're going to feel wired and anxious as opposed to like sluggish, depressed, and anxious for other reasons. So you need to be very careful. But what um, people have started to realize is that many years ago, it used to be like the whole focus, the methylation thing. Whereas now people have started to realize it's just coming back to like the same things again. So gut health is your liver functioning because methylation is just one pathway in the liver as well. It's a detox pathway. So if that's not working, your body is going to have other pathways like glucuronidation, sulfation to go down. So you can't just narrow in so specifically on one thing. You need to look holistically in the body. This happened with genetics as well. People like got hyper-focused on genetics for a while and then realized, oh, it just comes back to eating organic food, moving your body, managing stress at the end of the day. So those nutrients would be a good place to start, but please be slow and careful, especially if you've got a health issue and the methylation is playing a big role because um, it can make you a little bit anxious and over-methylated over if you do it too quickly. 
I got out of mold a hundred percent six months in, and I'm six months into a mold detox. I now have different symptoms. How could that be? So mold, the mold journey doesn't stop as soon as you move house or move out of it. Unfortunately, that is the biggest and the best and the first step. Definitely. So I'm glad that you've made that, that choice and got out into a better environment, hopefully, but you can still be symptomatic because of the effects that it has on your body. It kind of wrecks a lot of things and it can take a while to bounce back. So please don't expect any quick fixes. Six months is like sometimes only where it starts to improve. So for some people, it's not until one to two years later. That's a little bit late to see zero symptoms at all. I personally noticed some improvements within a week, especially brain function. But I'm now four months after moving and I'm really just starting now to see some better changes. But it depends on how complex your personal case is, like your health status, how bad the mold issue was, how sick you were. If you were like chronically bedbound and debilitated with chronic fatigue syndrome and all of these um, chronic issues, then it's going to take you a lot longer than someone like me who, yes, had a lot of issues, but was pretty functional um, because I'd already been eating healthy and everything for years prior so don't be discouraged or disheartened your body will be healing it will be actually going through a detox naturally on its own even if you're not doing anything to support it so there's been ups and downs with my detox as well days when i felt like really exhausted depressed really histamine and allergic symptoms for no real reason at all so it's part of the process um, if you haven't already, I'd recommend reading Dr. Jill Christa's book, Break the Mold. I interviewed her on my podcast as well a couple of months back. So listen to that one. And she gives some recommendations on just simple things. Her approach is very naturopathic, which I like, because some mold practitioners are very um, conventional medicine-based, like take this drug, take this pill, whereas hers are like using food as medicine, baths, um, body brushing, coffee enemas, those types of things. And if you aren't already, I'd work with a practitioner because mold also comes along with frenemies and it, yeah, it's not usually alone. So there might be some parasites there. The more that I've been learning recently about parasites is that they often need to be addressed first before you can actually really overcome and deal with the mycotoxins. So that's maybe something to consider as well. But you might also have lingering effects with your immune system and viruses and SIBO because of the mold exposure so it's probably the start of your journey even though you might have been on it for much longer just the moving that's probably the start and now you need to go back and do all of these gut healing protocols again to actually feel good but I'd be curious as to know what the different symptoms are um, if they're like brand new symptoms or symptoms of flaring up that could be part of a healing crisis or a detox reaction so I see a question, what if I have a yeast infection that won't go away, but currently treating H. pylori with biocidin? Don't know if biocidin is worsening my infection, killing all bacteria, or if it's helping. So I don't know, Ariel, if you're working with someone, because they will give you a better insight as to whether the, the biocidin is the right product for you or whether it's too strong at the moment, because it is pretty powerful, that one. It acts as like a natural antibiotic. So even though it's made of herbs, it can still go in and kill your bacteria. Not as much as the conventional antibiotics. It doesn't kill all the good bacteria. It's a little bit more specific, which is good. But if you're really depleted in good bacteria and lactobacillus and those types of things, then so you are 
yeah, so backing off antimicrobials. Um, you might need to do some of the more localized probiotics in the area and things like creams, just because your gut might be a little bit healthier now, but you actually need something topical in the area to resolve the problem. But I think the Megaspore, I don't know if you have access to that in where you are, but the Megaspore might be a good option just to not kill too many things off, but give you that extra micro, that antimicrobial support without reducing the good bacteria even further. So try the Megaspore, I would back off the biocidin and I would try some topical probiotics in the area. Okay, next question was from Sarah. Uh, best enzymes for fat malabsorption? So fat malabsorption is quite common. I see this quite a lot. With a stool test, it could be something like elevated steatocrit. So that's showing that there was fat present in the stool when you did the sample, which isn't great. We should be absorbing and digesting the healthy fats that we're consuming. We don't want them going straight through. So signs of fat malabsorption might be um, greasiness in the stool, um, excessive wiping, could be pain or discomfort after eating fatty food, nausea, burping, bloating, and um, sometimes dizziness can be a sign of gallbladder issues. And recommendations for enzymes. So you could do like food as medicine here and do bitter foods before eating your meals. So if you know that you're going to be having some healthy fats, which you should ideally in every meal be having some healthy fats. If you're struggling with any of those symptoms or suspect that you might have issues with fat malabsorption, you could do some bitters before your meals. So you can get like bitter tinctures, take those, or you can do like a strong herbal tea, something like dandelion or nettle tea, ginger tea could be good. Coffee is a bitter. So that's partly why we, we crave it so much because we're, very deficient in anything else bitter in the diet. So we crave chocolate and coffee to replace that. So I'm not saying have coffee before every meal necessarily, but a little bit of black coffee in the morning might be useful just to get that bile flow going. You can do things like lemon water and apple cider vinegar and water if you tolerate those. Um, but in terms of products and enzymes, you could do something like ox bile. So it's literally the bile from an ox. You can take that in a capsule form. That's really great for people with um, gallbladder removals. If you've had your gallbladder out, it can be really, really beneficial. And you probably need to take something like that long-term. And another product I've been loving recently is called Tudka, T-U-D-C-A. I'm not going to try and pronounce the full name because it's too complex. But this helps with liver, gallbladder, and bile flow in every way that you would want. So it helps with liver regeneration new bile flow it gets rid of the unhealthy bile helps with detoxification phase one phase two and phase three because it helps with gut health that's my new favorite product i use the one from cellcore but they have i think they have one in the sister the sister company microbe formulas and another thing would be um nutrients like beetroots or choline you can do um like egg yolks, liver for those nutrients, uh, phosphatidylcholine is really involved in the production of bile and healthier, thinner bile flow. You could do beetroot powder. So I think those are a um, few supplements. And then things like coffee enemas, they help with bile flow and detoxification of the liver and actually help your body to create healthier, fresher bile because the dump and release of that, um, the more toxic. Um, byproducts so what are my thoughts on alkaline powder 
I'm not sure if that's like a specific brand, but if it's like promoted as being like an alkaline product, then that's what kind of puts me off a little bit. Um, it's a little bit of a fad, I think, at the moment for something like an alkaline powder. If it's a greens powder, like a superfood powder, and it just says it helps with alkalis in the body, then that's fine. But parts of the body should be very acidic. So our stomach should be a pH of one and between one and two, which is like battery acid. So if you're drinking alkaline water and eating all these alkaline powders and supplements all day long, only eating alkaline foods, um, avoiding anything that's on the acidic list at all, like grains or meat, then you can actually run into some problems, I think, um, because our body does a really good job at keeping the blood pH very tightly controlled. But I agree that certain things like diet can affect the urine pH. But I think if you're just eating a well-balanced diet, not just eating meat or not just eating vegetables, eating a little bit of each, I think that's kind of the optimal, optimal thing for the body. And um, you, you should be able to just manage off that. But I'm not sure if it's like a specific product that you're, you're meaning. Um, so I can't really comment anymore on that, unfortunately. So someone's asking my favorite books. Um, so I don't, I could, I've read like 50 trillion books, so it's hard to say. So I've got like a few different, um, categories. So the first one, like nutrition, I'm guessing it's going to be relevant to, and there's good books for different things. So if it's like good nutrition, hormone nutrition, obviously, but a good general one would be a book called deep nutrition. I forgot who wrote that, but that's a really good overview as to like what I think is relevant in terms of diet so just like basic nutrition what our body needs the fat soluble nutrients like really emphasized in that as well so that's a book that i like for personal development books i like i really like the you are a badass range and it's like very um cliche but she has one on just general um personal development but also finance so i, I love both of those and another classic the four agreements really love that one and if it's hormones that you're wanting to know about, I've read a lot of those as well. A good one for PCOS is Eight Steps to Reverse Your PCOS by Dr. Fiona McCulloch. Um, or I like Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. So it's not necessarily like nutrition, but she talks about the energetic side of hormone imbalances. And I forgot the name of her book as well, unfortunately. I should really research these things, but I really love that one. She talks about how things like endometriosis and PCOS and infertility can be linked to suppressed emotions, energetic blocks. So that's something that's not that spoken about. So if you want, if you're still struggling with problems, then if you're eating all the right foods and doing all the right stuff, you could be missing a key thing with ignoring that type of stuff. Lucy, have I tried any pimple pack? Yes, I like the. It's the brand. It's like a Korean beauty brand. Let me find it now. But I tried a new, a new product this month. And I didn't like them as much because they really, really like stuck to my face and ripped some hers off when they came off. Uh, it's the Cos RX one. So C O R C O S R X Cos RX. Um, they do the acne pimple master patch. Really love them. They come off really easily. They conceal it any spots really well i think they're like the best selling ones the best available ones if i'm honest so they're definitely worth it
was I happy with my decisions to go to CNN? Do I recommend it? Yes. So it's probably like one of the best things that I've done. Um, because at the time I knew I wanted to help people. I was originally studying to become like a social worker or a nurse, but I wasn't a fan of like the conventional medical system and I wasn't a fan of like blood and things like that. So I didn't really want to be like hands-on in the emergency room. So when I heard about nutritional therapy after going to see one myself it sounded like the perfect thing I love helping people but not being like too in 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 depth and CNM apart from Institute of Optimum Nutrition in London were the only two options so I lived near to the CNM Manchester it's like a 30 minute drive and it sounded perfect so that's why I went and learned so much i thought i knew everything once I, I qualified but that's not the case that was just the start of my learning if i'm honest so it's a good starting point it gives you the the qualification to start your business and i'm even going to be lecturing for them next month so i'm lecturing at the cnn manchester clinics on women's health so hormones and all of that period problems so i'm really excited to do that and i qualified like three years ago so I really enjoyed CNM and yes, I recommend. And Lucy, I either got them from Amazon or I got them from Luke Fantastic, I think. One of those like beauty skincare websites. So just search COSRX Pimple Patch UK and it's one of the top three um, web searches on there. I think they're all a similar price as well. Next is best ways to support estrogen dominance. So with estrogen dominance, there's two main reasons for that. Either your estrogen is very high, really off the charts too high. That's less common. That's probably due to being overweight or obese, due to long-term birth control usage. Um, they tend to be the main ones. So your estrogen is really high, so you therefore have estrogen dominance. Whereas the second reason is that you have normal, if not low normal levels of estrogen, but in comparison, your progesterone is lower. So that's the one that I see most frequently. And the goal is then maybe not to reduce the estrogen even further, because it's not high, but to boost the progesterone up. So that is um, a complex Thing because it's not just one thing unfortunately you can't just pop a supplement could do bioidenticals but then it's not really addressing the root of the problem so stress management in all forms is the key thing for boosting progesterone obviously ovulation comes first but in order to ovulate your body needs to feel safe nourished fed and um, balanced in order to give resources to a potential pregnancy because that's your body's goal at the end of the day is to have a baby every month but sometimes that doesn't happen even if you don't want a baby, that's what your menstrual cycle is for. So stress management, that will calm the body down, calm the brain down and allow your body to ovulate and give more resources to a potential pregnancy. You can also do some nutrient support with things like vitamin C. I prefer whole food forms of vitamin C. So you can do camu camu berry, acerola cherry, acai. Um, those types of things, obviously fresh fruits and vegetables as well. 
and making sure that your gut is functioning optimally because if you've got a bacterial overgrowth or infection in your gut or you're constipated you're just going to be recirculating that estrogen over and over again so you can do all the herbs and things in the world but if you are recycling all of that that's your main problem so focusing on removing infections alleviating constipation and yeah that would be my top and maintaining a healthy body weight, but I know that that's easier said than done. How to find the root cause of hair loss. So the pattern of your hair loss can tell you a little bit about what's going on. So if your hair loss is just on the um, crown and in the parting, so your parting's getting wider, your crown is kind of balding, more in like a male pattern, then that can be from androgen excess, even in women. So women with PCOS tend to have this pattern. Whereas if you have all over thinning, known as diffuse shedding, um, this can be due to things like underactive thyroid, iron deficiency, and your body's just depleted overall. It can be from stress. And also if it's in patches, that can be from stress or some sort of infection, scalp infection as well in the body. If you're also thinning on your eyebrows, that out a third of your eyebrows, then be thinking more thyroid, depletion, nutrient deficiencies, those things. But testing can be really useful in this instance. Probably doctors are willing to test ferritin levels, which is iron storage in the body. If that's below 70, um, definitely below 50, then that will be contributing to her, her loss or your her not being able to grow properly so rectifying that i don't use iron supplements a lot of the time I prefer to do it through diet through red meats organ meats those types of things otherwise the iron supplements can cause a lot of digestive imbalances constipation feed bacterial infections in the system just cause more oxidative stress and so ruling out iron deficiency getting your thyroid checked with a full thyroid panel making sure that they're looking at that with optimal ranges, not just conventional NHS ranges as well. Particularly your T3 and antibodies, that's the most important um, markers to assess because you could have normal T4, T3, TSH, but elevated antibodies causing your hair loss. And then I would look at um, just stressing your life. Are you sleeping? Are you over-exercising? Are you eating enough food, sort of tracking your calories? A lot of people now are eating healthy diets, but they're massively under-eating in calories. Even though they feel like they're eating a lot of food, maybe they're eating more quantity-wise than they ever have, but the calories aren't there, unfortunately. So they can be making the thyroid more sluggish, not giving their body enough nutrients, because at the end of the day, food and calories equal more nutrients in the body. And then if you've done all of those things and you're still struggling, that's when I would consider something like a Dutch test or a comprehensive hormone panel to look at your adrenals in a bit more detail. If they're chronically tanked or your cortisol is just off the charts, then you would need to do more in-depth um, treatment for that. But you can't just go straight in without knowing what you're doing. And they're usually a symptom of something deeper anyway, so start with those first. And the Dutch test also looks at your androgens in more detail so maybe you've had testosterone checked by a doctor and it's come back normal a lot of the time it does whereas other androgens like androstenedione dhea dhas that the dutch looks at they come back elevated so don't just do one test and rule it out forever 
there's so many markers and there's something going on obviously but you need to identify what that is what are the main symptoms of parasites aren't some of them beneficial so if your body is healthy and you don't have any symptoms at all but you have a parasite then it's probably fine not to do anything about it because it's part of your gut microbiome and it's everything's in homeostasis however if you were to go through a very stressful time or food poisoning something like that that could weaken your vitality and allow the parasite to take over because that's exactly what a parasite is it leaches from your nutrients it causes stress and inflammation in the body so there are some studies that people are using parasites and worms and things to help with immune modulation and things like inflammatory bowel conditions but what, what i think is happening is that they're just using them as a distraction to the immune system so they put them in there just to keep the immune system occupied but as soon as the parasites are kind of out the system the autoimmunity just starts again so they're not actually addressing the root of the problem whereas if you're symptomatic in any way so this could be hormonally skin wise digestion obviously getting rid of the parasites is probably going to be a, a benefit so symptoms can be really random but some classic ones are that your symptoms flare up around the full moon this can also tie into hormones as well so people just blame it on their hormones the fact that they're um not sleeping and more irritable and more hungry around the full moon but it could be parasite related and itching even like rectal itching can be a classic one teeth grinding skin rashes food allergies food sensitivities bloating constipation diarrhea headaches acne that's chronic um pretty much anything in some ways could be related back to parasites next question is tips on creating a good skincare routine i am in the camp that um, less and more simple is better because all of these people now are using 10 steps and I was watching my friend Sarah from Healthy Skin Glows her stories today and she was saying the same thing there's like an epidemic now of reactive skin rosacea and it's probably just due to the fact that we're using so many products on our skin every day and that's destroying the skin barrier it's causing a lot of irritation and affecting the microbiome as well so if you're over exfoliating that's not great. Even with natural products, it may not be the right routine for you. So I like to keep it pretty simple. And then when your skin's healthy, you can go a little bit more extravagant if you want. But basic cleanser that's gentle, non-stripping, non-foaming, ideally. Um, if you're more oily skin, then maybe doing more of a gel or lightweight cleanser. Whereas if you're more dry, doing like a milky, lotiony type cleanser instead. Some people benefit from a toner, so you can do like a rose water toner, um, and then some sort of serum for an active treatment or chemical exfoliant. I recommend everyone does some sort of exfoliant, but it depends on the skin quality as to what type you're going to need. So, with someone with very inflamed reactive skin, they might just need a Manuka honey mask a couple of times a week just to slough off some of the dead skin cells, um, prevent any buildup. Whereas someone with more oily and um, congested skin, they might do best with things like a retinol or um, a salicylic acid toner, BHA, um, serum or something like that every other day. So it really depends. Um, and then just a basic moisturizer in the initial stages before you get into any fancy creams, any thick 
thick products. And I don't tend to recommend, um, I'm guessing this person's talking about acne prone skin here, but I don't tend to recommend oils off the back because a lot of people have fungal acne and bad reactions to oils. Um, so keep it free of fragrance, fragrance and essential oils to start with just to get the skin calmed down and then building that out over time. So the more simple, the better with skincare. And I use products with that are free from hormone disruptors. So the whole thing with chemical-free skincare, it's not really a thing because water is a chemical at the end of the day, but using brands that are pretty simple and reputable and trustworthy and don't contribute to hormone imbalances other types of products that I tend to go with. Do you love coffee, but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS, and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mold and pesticides, which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great is organic and mold free and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores. Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of reishi mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system's overactive due to autoimmunity, or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the reishi can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question. Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics, the regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. So someone was asking about length of time with skin issues and when you can start to see improvements, how long it's going to take for full resolution of conditions like acne, psoriasis, eczema. Obviously, it's very individual to the person. It depends on how long you've had that condition for, what the cause of it is. If you're someone who is just eating dairy and you're sensitive to it, and that's the driver of your acne, if you cut out the dairy, you might see an improvement or get clear skin, maybe within like two to three weeks. So that's like the most basic um, option. Um, and then there's people who have chronic 
toxicity, they have heavy metals, they have leaky gut, they have multiple food sensitivities, they have PCOS, and maybe for them, you're looking at the one-year mark before they really notice anything significant. The skin does take about 30 days for skin cell turnover, so you need to take that into consideration. But if it's hormonal or nutrient-related, then those things can take around three months to really resolve. Like if you start taking a supplement, like vitamin A that you've been deficient in, it's going to take around three months to like restore that level. If PCOS and high androgens are your cause of acne, then it's going to take around 100 days or three months of consistency, um, balancing your blood sugar and insulin, managing your stress before you really start to notice a difference with your skin. So average with my clients, and let's take acne, for example, just the average person with acne, usually three to four months is a pretty good starting point, but it can be less, it can be more, and it depends on, obviously, how much effort you put into to doing it because I can just give you the information in, at the end of the day but if you don't put that into practice then you're not really going to get the results. Next question was on keratosis pilaris so that's like the chicken skin on you can get on the back of your arms like the bumpy red spots some people get it on their thighs as well so causes of that usually comes back to um, a combination of poor gut health so infection, SIBO, low stomach acid, sometimes hidden gluten sensitivity can cause this issue. Um, and it can be a deficiency of fat-soluble nutrients or vitamins like vitamin A and D more specifically. So getting those things checked out. If you're getting enough sunlight in the summer months and you're eating organ meats regularly to cover your vitamin A, like most people don't do that, so that would be a starting point. It could be that you're not fully digesting and absorbing the fat-soluble vitamins from your diet because of like liver and gallbladder congestion or poor gut health again, infections in the gut. So usually it's related to nutrient deficiencies and or poor gut health. And treatments would be obviously to address those things. Sometimes topical treatments with um, chemical exfoliants like salicylic acid can be good just to help with skin cell turnover. But it really is an internal um, internally driven conditions similar to acne a good skincare routine can help but you're not really going to notice anything significant until you address the internal problem so i think i finished all of the ones on acne that i wanted to cover someone asked about hirsutism which is facial excessive facial or body hair growth tips on dealing with hirsutism until you treat the root cause so i'm glad that this person asked uh, mentioned that they're dealing with a root cause simultaneously because just like doing something topical again isn't really gonna fix the problem. So I'm glad that you're doing both at the same time. There's really no, apart from like removing the hair with lasers, electrolysis, waxing, plucking, really nothing else. There's no like products or creams that you can put on to stop the hair growth. So it really will be internally driven. And hirsutism usually is a result of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and high androgen, so high male hormone levels. So the root causes of that would be stress um, and adrenal issues, inflammation, um, likely stemming from the gut and insulin blood sugar related. So um, dive deeper and investigate there further. So the topical and um, ex external things would be removing the hair with one of those that I just mentioned. Then on to gut health. So someone's asking about probiotics. Can they be used with SIBO? So with SIBO, 
regular probiotics I wouldn't usually recommend because that's like adding fuel to the fire. But with Megaspore and some of these spore-based probiotics, they actually have antibacterial and um, kind of antibiotic-like effects. So they can go into the gut and help to reduce SIBO. And I've had people, um, particularly pregnant or breastfeeding clients, where they can't do any antimicrobial herbs because it's not safe whilst breastfeeding. I've had people clear gut infections and SIBO just with the spore-based probiotics. And there's actually been studies. I think certain um, places in Europe just use the bacillus strains, that's what they are, as antibiotics in the gut. They don't have the devastating effects like some of the others can. Best treatment for DNS amoeba, fragilis, and parasite, how to best retest for it after. So Dientamoeba is a common parasite. I actually had that along with the other common one, Blastocystis hominis. They do go together. They're like frenemies. And this one is definitely linked to IBS. So if you have it, it's pretty much, um, and if you're symptomatic, then it will be contributing. So um, it's hard to say what, what the treatment is because there's different like types and it depends on what other things are going on inside of your gut. So if you also have yeast overgrowth, then you can use herbs that also have anti-yeast effects as well but i've been using the cell core biosciences parasite formulas and i found them to be really effective i've not been doing as much stool testing recently so i've not seen like a direct oh yeah i've seen a couple people who've had um dentamoeba and blasto they do the cell core protocol which has things like mimosa pudica seed neem in there to help with um, parasites and other infections and it has got rid of them um, the goal as well is to strengthen the gut immune system, so secretory IgA. That's another marker that sometimes on the stool test, like the GI map, if that's chronically suppressed, it's going to be very difficult for you to actually get rid of parasites, even with all the herbs in the world. So you need to work on the immune system again at the same time, natural elimination pathways, so that your body, it should, it should on its own be able to get rid of the parasites and detect them, but they do take over and it can be suppressive to the immune system so they actually just kind of become a vicious cycle they suppress your immune system your immune system can't get rid of them and it just goes over and over again so the cell core um biosciences parasite cleansing would be my priority but i'm not sure if you have access to that or if you're working with someone but then other anti-parasitic herbs would be garlic or allicin which is the extract from garlic neem oregano or oregano berberine biocidin which is a liquid tincture that's got things like echinacea garlic some essential oils i think wormwood in there they would be the go-to someone asked laurie asked can we do a gut reset with vancomycin so that's an antibiotic so potentially there is a time and a place for um conventional antibiotics if i've seen someone still testing they're like very depleted and they have a yeast overgrowth or fungal overgrowth then an antibiotic wouldn't be great because it's just going to deplete them further and it's going to make the yeast thrive in the body even more. But if they have like major overgrowths and SIBO and parasites, sometimes, and H. pylori, sometimes an antibiotic can just be a good way to nip things in the bud, reduce the overall burden of the body, and then you can continue with um, a gut protocol or like a healing phase or a few more herbs for a couple more weeks. It totally depends, but yes, sometimes they can be used as like a reset just to get the ball rolling, especially if the infection is quite chronic. Can we do a parasite cleanse on your own or do you need to work with a practitioner? 
It depends. Those in the US can order it directly from either microbe formulas or cell core biosciences. I have my code in my Instagram bio. If you're in the UK, it's always best to work with a practitioner. Um, but Sarah, you can order, again, the links in my Instagram bio from Amrita in the UK. These are like the functional medicine um, supplement websites that practitioners need to use. But I've got my code in there as well. So if you need a little bit of guidance with that, just let me know. And same with anyone listening, like the, the probiotics, usually they're not available, but recently, because I've had so many requests and I can only see like so many people, I've made my my practitioner website available so that you can order things like the Megaspore directly through that if you are interested. Always just follow the, the dosage labels or if you need a little bit of guidance, just send me a DM or an email. Best treatment for reducing sulfur-producing bacteria, I have higher levels of hydrogen sulfide. This is um, a little bit complex because hydrogen sulfide, if you've not listened to my episode with Dr. Greg Nye, I'm just going to quickly look at what the number is because there's some belief, and I agree with this, that hydrogen sulfide is produced as like a beneficial thing. So it does cause problems, but your body's doing it as like a protective mechanism because you're not producing sulfur correctly. So it's episode number 51 for Laura who asked yesterday. And there are some things that you can do. So reducing sulfur from the diet because you already have an overload. So things like red meat and eggs and cruciferous vegetables, you would limit for a period of time, not completely. And that's not going to address the problem, but it's like, it's like a, just overwhelming. You've just overloaded your sulfur bucket and you need to reduce that down with a lower sulfur diet. But there are other things like certain types of B12. Um, I think ginseng helps reduce um, and certain probiotics can help like the megaspore probiotic reduce hydrogen sulfide. But this just tells me that your gut bacteria is pretty messed up. So I would potentially do a gut protocol and support your liver pathways, molybdenum, is a trace mineral that helps process sulfur and stops it going down the inflammatory hydrogen sulfide pathway and the sulfite production and send it down the sulfate version. It's a little bit complex, but sulfate is good for like the gut lining, skin, hair and nails. So you probably have some issues with inflammation in the body. It can make you very brain fog, and um, skin rashes, itching is a big sign. So try some of those tips and listen to that episode with Dr. Greg Nye. He has a book as well. Aside from bitters and hydrochloric acid, best supplements for boosting stomach acid. So they would be like the top ones, but my thoughts are like, why do you have low stomach acid in the first place? It is a huge problem, but oftentimes it's due to chronic stress and or H. pylori infection. So H. pylori if you have that, you could do all the bitters in the world, but you're never going to have optimal stomach acid levels. And actually adding in hydrochloric acid would make the issue worse because it would prevent you from being able to overcome the H. pylori. And it's probably going to contribute to some inflammation and gastritis of your stomach lining because the H. pylori causes inflammation. If you add acid on top of that, it's just a recipe for disaster. So find out why you have low stomach acid in the first place. Remove the stressor, remove the cause, either the H. pylori or chronic stress, not mindfully eating, um, and any gut infections that you might have, they're also stressors on the system. 
but then bitters and HDL would be a good way to boost your stomach acid and actually improving bile flow. So your liver gallbladder congestion, sometimes that is the cause of low stomach acid and reflux as well. Please recommend the best food sensitivity test in the UK. I don't run any of them. The best one is an elimination diet and listening to your body and healing the gut basically because um, food sensitivity test, it can show false negatives, false positives. And if you're having multiple reactions and multiple foods show up, it's just a sign that you have leaky gut. So the, the food isn't the problem, it's your gut and your digestion and your immune system that the, uh, that's causing it in the first place. So I don't recommend any food, sensitive, food sensitivity testing. I would just recommend cutting out the most inflammatory foods, the most common food sensitivities, which are gluten, dairy, corn, soy, sometimes eggs for 30, 60 days, and then slowly reintroducing one at a time and see how you feel. If you are reacting to one or all of them, it could be a sign of leaky gut or intestinal permeability. So just removing those forever isn't the answer. You would actually need to work on the gut and then it's most likely you can introduce them back into the diet the only one that maybe not and to keep um, a minimum would be gluten so that's not a health food for anyone i don't think but something like dairy if you're reacting it could be a, a true sensitivity but it could also be a sign that your gut and your immune system is just messed up you need to cut it out for a period of time and then you can introduce it back in so an endocrinologist asked about ruling out pcos so with PCOS, you can have totally regular periods, like every month, but your symptom might be acne, like chronic acne, or it could be that you're having a period every month, but you're not ovulating, or you're not producing good amounts of progesterone, or you could have chronic weight gain and hirsutism as your symptoms. So I don't know if that makes sense, but you, you can't be ruled out for PCOS just because you have regular periods. And if you mean the opposite, if you mean that you're having eight periods a year and they're irregular, um, that may not be just PCOS either. It could be thyroid issues, could be undereating, hypothalamic amenorrhea type stress. So if that needs clarifying, just let me know. Can you look at you can you talk about the most important things to look at and address, tackle her loss, stimulate her growth? Yeah, so with her loss, that's just telling me that the body doesn't have enough resources to go around. So it's like in conservation mode, the her at the end of the day isn't, a, isn't necessary for survival. So if you only have a limited amount of energy or ATP, you only have a limited amount of nutrients and calories coming in, your body's going to prioritize the gut and the, the brain and the internal organs first. So ruling out like the basic things, are you majorly stressed or have you, have, uh, have you been majorly stressed in the past six months or so? Um, and when I say stress, it's not just mental and emotional. So 2020 has been like a stressful year anyway. And your her loss, your her growth cycles are on a bit of a delay. So I'm recently going through her loss. So from September, October, November, because of my health changes and detox back in June, July. So I thought I was out of the woods. I was feeling good. And I feel the healthiest I have done in probably years. But my her loss has started again. So bear that in mind, it's on a delay and it can take a while to stop that, that her shedding cycle, let it go through the resting phase and then start regrowing again. So you really need to be patient with it. So check your thyroid, check your iron levels, um, check your stress levels and 
address your gut health because you could be eating the perfect diet but if you have infections they're stressful in themselves but they can also deplete your nutrients and iron and can i expand on can i expand on that please how to remove the h pylori so test first if you have h pylori i like the gi map test to look at that it's a stool test um, that's a pcr so unlike other tests they're just looking under a microscope to see if you have h pylori with the pcr gi map stool test it's looking at fragments of dna so they don't need to see the infection clearly they can just see microscopic levels of dna to know that it's there or have been there recently and if it is h pylori you might want to go down the conventional antibiotic route it's different for everyone depends on other factors but um that's known as a triple therapy so it's pretty full-on two antibiotics combined with a ppi stomach acid suppressing drug so it depends on how you feel about that but there are other alternatives, things like mastic gum can be useful, something called Matula tea, M-A-T-U-L-A, that can be um, really effective, broccoli sprout extract, um, vitamin C, licorice can all be good as well. Can I recommend a brand where I can get vitamin D safe for kids as well? So um, pretty much all vitamin D is safe for kids, just make sure it's not combined with vitamin A. Some of them are like the cod liver oils um, or the the combined fat soluble nutrients they can be high in vitamin a so i wouldn't do that for kids but i know this person who's asking so you can get the it depends on how old the kids are but yeah brands like bioca nutri-advance have pretty safe well-tolerated vitamin d and there should be recommendations on their website but it depends on how old the kid is how heavy they are you have to do things based in weights when it comes to kids not age Thoughts on coffee and caffeine if you're dealing with hormone issues. This is pretty individual as well. If your, your hormone symptoms are very adrenal-based, then sometimes you need to go a period of time without caffeine and coffee just to calm the body down and calm the nervous system because it is a stimulant at the end of the day. But for other people, like some people say, like cut out caffeine for everyone but i don't agree with that there are some health benefits to coffee especially if it's good quality organic versions i personally love king coffee so i put about this on my stories earlier and i have a highlight on my page about king coffee this one is organic mold free pesticide free coffee that's infused with reishi mushroom spores so you're getting the energy boosting and antioxidants from the coffee but it's also giving you that calming um, relaxed sense of energy with the reishi mushroom so i i am quite sensitive to caffeine but with this version of coffee i don't get jitters i don't get teeth grinding it doesn't affect my sleep so if you want a way around it then the king coffee might be a good option so there's a link in my bio for that one and you're getting the immune supportive you're getting anti-inflammatory antioxidants antibacterial effects so it's known as the king of mushrooms and it's an adaptogen so because I can't like give general advice to everyone, adaptogens are a really good thing because if someone's got high cortisol or low cortisol, it helps to balance. If someone's got overactive immune system and underactive immune system, it helps to balance it out. I feel pretty confident recommending reishi mushroom to most people. So that one would be a good option. And um, I always recommend caffeine before 2 p.m., ideally at the latest, because it does take a few hours um, to get it out of the system. 
So if you're having it at easy meal, then it's going to affect your sleep regardless. And limit yourself probably no more than two a day if you're struggling with hormone imbalances and try to time it after food. So about 30 minutes to an hour after breakfast is a perfect time because that's going to buffer some of the caffeine in the bloodstream. Right, last couple of questions here on periods and PMS. Um, so the first one is favorite herbs for PMS. I wouldn't go straight for herbs because then it's kind of just band-aiding the problem. There's a time and a place, but herbal medicine for period problems is usually one of the last things that we, what, what I choose. Um, I'd prefer to work on the nutrition and the lifestyle things first. So with PMS, it's usually a case of estrogen dominance in comparison to progesterone. So it doesn't mean to say that your estrogen is through the roof too high. It could just be that you have normal estrogen, but your progesterone levels are lower in the second half of your cycle. That's usually the cause of PMS. Um, Nutrition-wise, I would do um, making sure that your blood sugar is stable. So you're eating protein, healthy fats, carbohydrates at every meal. You're not skipping meals. You're not under-eating. You're um, going to the bathroom every day. You're having at least one bowel movement. You're avoiding excess um, refined sugar and alcohol because that's going to burden your liver your liver's already handling a lot of hormones and changes leading up to your period there's just more things for it to do so supporting your liver in that way but if you need to choose herbs i would do i would consider looking into vitex that's probably the most or chase tree berry that's probably the one that's the most known and researched for pms that helps to increase progesterone levels so to balance the estrogen and progesterone before your period comes but if you have if you've done hormone testing and you have pcos or you have high lh levels then that might not be the best option for you because it can actually increase that further because when i took vitex it made my pms worse and i got a face full of acne from it so it's not a cure-all for everyone and um, i would also look into um vitamin C rich herbs as well. So things like alma berry and mm, 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 acerol cherry, acai powder, those things that are high in vitamin C because vitamin C is also shown to improve progesterone levels. So have a look into those. And then I think last question is about blood flow, how to increase blood flow during period. Usually I'm being asked the opposite. People have like heavy, painful clotted periods but this person i'm guessing that they have a very light bleed or it's like a pinky color or maybe it's a dark brown color that would just show that some stagnation and blood flow isn't happening correctly so it is good in that situation to increase blood flow um, i wouldn't do this on the period maybe the week before past the oil packs so that helps to help any stagnation or any blockages with the blood flow but when you're on your period it can increase it too much so just see how your body responds to that you could also do um acupuncture so maybe not at this moment in time based on where you are in the world but acupuncture can really help with blood flow and stagnation as well gentle exercise so just getting your body moving um warm epsom salt baths hot water bottles on that area and hydration making sure that you're well hydrated so that you have like the majority of your blood is made from water. So if you're dehydrated, then that's going to be happening as a result. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review, and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. 
All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain, and refined sugar-free recipes, and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health, as I share a ton of free content every day, and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides, which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss, or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.